Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday afternoon. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, I spent all morning doing uh, pastoral work, you know, shiva houses and whatever. I'm going to go teach soon, so let me see if I can do one. I'm going to go out of order. Uh, an idea occurred to me while I was driving about the Haftorah, so let me do the Haftorah today, and I'll do the Parsha and maybe another uh, bio uh, later this week, uh, as, I, as I promised. Um, so today's uh, podcast, since it's the, it's the um, Haftorah one, as I mentioned yesterday, this is also being sponsored by the Reft Hands. And this time it's in honor for her grandson's Bar Mitzvah, which is Parsha Zohar. As I mentioned yesterday, um, that <laughs> this grandson is named after her dad, who passed away. He was one of the Polish she that suffered in the war. And it's very nice that, obviously, this is the only um, Nechama. I won't say Nechama, but Nechama you have for Hitler. We have a grandson named after him, Yaakov Rachmiel, and be able to make a bar mitzvah and a Parsha Zohar. Imagine that. The grandchild of a Holocaust survivor having bar mitzvah and Parsha Zohar. <laughs> you don't have to say more than that. That's how you remember what happened that long ago. And Parsha Zohar is about Amalek. In this case, the right hand grandson can remember the Amalek of the 20th century. But let's get down to brass tacks. This week's Parsha, uh, October, as everybody knows, is about King Saul and Amalek. I'll share, we all know the story, so I'll just share with you the idea that occurred to me. I saw it somewhere in the news yesterday or a little earlier about some article somewhere that they're still going after the Nazi war criminals. The Nazi war criminals. Uh, I, she's 95 years old, he's 97 years old, they're still going after him. Now I get it, and as far as I'm concerned, shoot them all, they go straight to hell. They all did uh, part of the Shoah, killing six million Jews. And others. Um, but, on the other hand, most of us would say, it's weird. What are you going to do to somebody's 98? What are you going to do to them? Right? Suppose you find somebody in Germany or Austria who turns out was a concentration camp person and killed people and this and that and the other. That's 100% true. But they've already lived their life out. What are you going to send them to jail in their 90s? You understand? Uh, what are you going to give Malchus? What do you give somebody a death penalty 98 years old? You hear what I'm saying? That, that even though in principle, time should not be a factor. And in halacha, time is not a factor. There's a very famous note of Yehuda in that uh, Orachim 35, uh, with the scandal and everything, and uh, had to do with adultery and whatever. And the note of Yehuda made a point that in Jewish law, repentance is great, but it cannot take away the legal penalty. So, for example, nobody says, of course he's right. I'm just making this story up. Suppose the guy's 20 years old. I'll do a better one. Suppose he's 18 years old. That's young. And he was involved in a robbery and he shot and killed somebody. He held up a grocery store and killed a guy. Mom, she killed a guy. Why? It was a schmo. One of the 18-year-old punks. 
that he had no respect for human life, he killed him. And then they were looking for him, he ran away, and he crossed the other side of America. Basically, he went to Hawaii, Alaska, and there he um, transformed. Uh, he met a girl, he got married, got a job. Such things can happen. Called the Birdman of Alcatraz, you know. He managed to change. Get it? In other words, life so worked out for this person that it's no longer an inner city. He moved elsewhere, different circumstances. Maybe he met somebody that guided him. Whatever the case is, the Mamish literally underwent a transformation. And the new person, who's not 18 anymore, let's say he's 30 or 40, he looks back and says, Oi, the terrible things I did when I was young. I look back today with great shame and regret. And he really does. It's not baloney. Right? He sees, at that time I was in the wrong place in life. Teenager, hung with a bad gang. So on and so on and such and such. Okay. So, now, he's a father, a husband. He's an upstanding member of the community. Maybe he joins the, 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 the fire club. Whatever, you know. The fireman, he does civic things. He honestly, he's a member of the church now. He, he does charity. He is a different person. So, what does the Torah have to say about that? You're still Chayv Misa. Provided this person comes back and the court gets a hold of him, Jewish court, let's say it's a Jew. Let's say the guy described as Jewish. It's Eretz Yisrael. And you have still the same two Adim and uh, Hasra, you know, in other words, we satisfy the due process of Jewish law, which is a high bar, and he's guilty, you kill him. You execute him. You know, skilless rave of Herrick Vichening. I, what about the fact he's no longer the person he was once? We say like this, that is true, and that will get him a ticket to heaven. So good for you. But the Torah says, Makishwa Mesmos Yumas. If you commit a murder, there's a penalty. And there's no way you can get out of that penalty. You see? There's no way. I repeat, in Om Haba, that's a different story. But, you know, in other words, if you really change as a person, as a repentant, repentant, so that's between you and God. God can do that kind of thing. But down here, you have to follow what the law is. And the law is no matter what happened. So, to bring it back to our discussion, there's somebody who's one of the perpetrators of the Holocaust. And then, life so changed that, you know, it's 50, 60, 70 years later. Maybe they're different people by now. So, in principle, same person be hanged. Same person be Chayim Misa. But in reality, the story I just told you is an interesting Kiddush. And it's not a Kiddush. I mean, the note of Hud is somebody telling you the truth. The plain plush of truth. But, if you think about it, if you and I met this person that I described before, and we said, yeah, in Hanami, when he was 18 years old, he did a terrible thing, and he was a terrible person. But another 18 years, and another 36 years have gone by. And the guy now is 54, the woman. They really have so changed, in a dramatic sense, me, myself, and I, I don't feel something should happen to that person. I'm thinking, should give him a break. Now, I repeat, a person, I'm speaking honestly, a person who was a from Jew would say like this, listen, if the Torah says you got to kill him, you got to kill him. Okay, it's one of those dinim. You know, you got to do it, you got to do it. But if you ask the person himself, would you, if we're up to you, let that guy or that girl go? You say yes. I would have had the terrible thing they did long ago and the, and the anguish they caused their family and victim. You say, yeah, but it was long ago. So in other words, time, the passage of time, and sometimes the transformation of the person makes a difference. 
So when it comes to these Nazi war criminals and that kind of thing, people say, oh, it's a terrible thing. Man, that happened in the 1940s. That's like a million years ago. You see? And um, therefore, whenever they do these arrests and persecutions, I'm sure the brass public's like this. Genugshoim. You know, what are you, what are you doing this for? And the Jews chasing them sound like vengeful Jew. Why am I mentioning all this? Amalek is the story of the Haftorah. King Saul, as we all know, messed up because he didn't kill Agag. I know everybody knows the story. So God tells him, now that you're the king of Israel, go wipe out Amalek. Lake, Lake, he kisaw. Right? As Amalek, Bacharamtim is called Shalov, Lo Sachmolov. You have to kill them mercilessly. Which is an interesting expression. Because King Saul is going to have mercy. So the, the words are specifically, do not have any chemel in him. Okay? And by the way, kill men, women, and children. I just want to be clear. So you have to go and smash in the heads of Amalekite babies. Now, why? Because a couple hundred years prior to that, the Amalekites attacked the Jews on the way out of Egypt. That is Mamash Tav Torah today. God says, I remember what Amalek did to Klai Yisrael. They attacked him in real when they left Egypt. I get that. Now put yourself, this is just what occurred to me, put yourself in the shoes of King Shaul and his generation. Hundreds of years have gone by. How many hundreds of years? Well, in the book of uh, Shoftim, I remember, this is a very tricky question, but Roughly, I remember that uh, Yiftach, the judge, uh, wrote to the um, Ammonites and he said, we've been here, I think, 300 years, something like that. More than 300 years. So you're basically saying somebody attacked the Jews in the 18th century. And now it's the year 2021. Kill them all, men, women, and children. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a, it's a little strange. Because we don't really find the Amalekites being a, a great enemies of the Jews, after that, like a one-time deal. Now, to be very exact, very exact, you do find occasionally, and this is interesting, in the book of Shoftim, which covers those 300 years and more, uh, if you look carefully, uh, Amalek shows up always as a junior partner of someone else that was invading. As far as I can see, there are like three times. It's a time of Ehud. So knows he had the Moabites, attacking the Jews and uh, defeating them and so forth. That's when Ehud, the Jewish judge, killed Eglon, the king of Moab, and drove out the Moabites. That was a hero. And it says something along the lines that Eglon, the king of Moab, uh, sent his armies, and I think he sent some Amalekite allies. No, they were tuffled to the main problem, which was Moab. Uh, later on, in, um, in the story of Gideon, Again, it says there were one million Midianites flooding the country. So Midian was killing everybody and stealing all their food and all their rest of it. And I remember he also mentioned among them was some Amalekites. So again, it's the same thing. It's not an acre, it's a tuffle. And then, in Yiftach, uh, when it says um, that the Jews were being bothered by Ammon at that time, that's why Yiftach appeared as a prophet, as a judge. So it says the Ammonites invaded Israel and they had the Amalekite allies. Notice each time, Amalekites like auxiliary to the main enemy. The big problem was Moab. The big problem was Midian. The big problem was Ammon. Later on the Shimshon, the big problem was the Plishtim. 
you do not find in the book of Shoftim, which is the only source we have, but it's going for a couple hundred years, and he mentioned about Moloch, seriously. And then when you do, it's in a weird way. Once Shaul gets, uh, uh, you know, becomes king, I mean, they got problems with the Pelishtim right and left. And all during the reign of King Saul, he's fighting to hold up the Pelishtim, and not so successfully. Uh, although he's giving his best shot, uh, only when double comes along do they bust the Philistines. Saul is killed by an Amalekite. You know that? Well, it seems that way. If you look at the end of Shmuel Aleph, beginning of Shmuel Bays, we're told the story about the death of Shaul and Melchah, King Saul. And there's like two versions. In one, he pushed plain and simple committed suicide, like Harry He was losing the battle, and he fell on his sword. Fell on his sword, that killed him. In the other version, he tried to shove it into himself. He wasn't that good at it. After all, who's good at suicide? And he was in terrible pain. And so he asked a soldier in his army, listen closely, a soldier in the Jewish army, who are you? I'm an Amalekite. Well, finish me off. You're doing me a favor if you finish me off. And the guy said he did. So it's not clear what exactly, you know, how factual these reports are. Going to Mepharsham. But the bottom line is, there were Amalekites in, in King Saul's army. Now, all you can tell me is, they converted to Judaism. That's weird. I'm not saying it didn't happen. This is my clocus in the Mepharsham. Um, they were showing him whether or not an Amalekite can, can convert to Judaism. Okay? But, uh, it's funny, Saul's killed by an Amalekite. At least according to that version of the story. Now in our Pasha, God comes to Shaul, he says, I made you king, and now, go wipe out Amalek, men, women, and children, because 300 years ago they attacked us. Now, I can explain it, and so can you. You know, Milcham al-Hashem ba-Malek, midor-dor, the God took this personally, and therefore he said, Yod al-Kaskab, Milcham al-Hashem ba-Malek, midor-dor, in the Chumash, it's a personal thing. I hear. But, to Shaul, the, the, the Amalek was not the big problem. The Plishtim was a big problem, maybe some others. They were military threats. The Amalekites are far off. And you can't tell me that this is the din of Mechias Amalek because God did not say, at least it doesn't seem from the story, and you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, go hunt down every Amalekite in the world and kill him. Doesn't say that. Sounds like there was a city of Amalekites, right? In a certain place, we don't know where. In the Negev, apparently. And Saul was told to wipe that city out. Uh, because The reason I say it is because anybody with the slightest familiarity with the book of Shmuel knows that there were plenty of other places of Amalekites. And later on, David, when he's running away from Saul, when David is with the Philistines, he joined the Philistine team and uh, at a certain point in the story. And when he joins the Philistine team, he cuts a deal with them and they give him a castle. And um, that becomes like, he's like a, a, a feudal noble uh, in allegiance to his overlord, the king of Gos, the Philistine king, one of the five Philistine kings. And David leads raids, it says, um, in the Negev. Now, he fooled his masters. He told them he was killing Jews and bringing back spoils and booty. But really, he didn't do that. What he did was he raided Amalekite places and he wiped them out, not because of Mitzvah Mechias Amalek, but because dead men tell no tales. And he didn't want to get out that he had not raided a Jewish town and brought back this wealth, but rather he invaded an Amalekite town. 
So notice, you see from over there, that there were plenty of Amalekim left over after King Saul wiped out the Amalekites. Now, from the story we have, it sounds like, in this week's Parsha, sounds like he killed them all except for Agag. Right? But you see, it's not true. And there are other places, if you know the story of Shemuel well, you'll know that when David marches off to fight the Philistines with the Philistines against the Jews, and at the last minute turned back, while he's away, the Plishtim, I'm sorry, the Amalekim, go and raid his uh, castle and carry off his wives and that of the men who were under him. And um, he chased them in the desert. It's a Gansa Maiso. But by the time the story's over, there are a couple hundred Amalekites who flee successfully from David's attacks. Okay? So in other words, neither Shaul nor David, for whatever reason, took this seriously. What do I mean when I say took it seriously? Go read in the book of Kings, around chapter 10 or 11, where it talks about Shlomo messing up, and as a result, the Edomites revolted. And there was a certain reason, I've talked about it before. Don't worry, I don't hold you responsible for knowing. That because of a certain event during David and Mel's reign, what I call the War of the Grand Coalition, and the Edomites attacked the Jews when the, when, when the Jews weren't looking, so for whatever the reason, David was plenty angry at them, and he and Joab, Joab, went down, and it says they spent six months, and they killed every Edomite male. In other words, he wanted to do it right. So, they went from town to town, village to village, cave to cave, and they killed every Edomite Zohar. That's what it says. Now, that means you're taking it seriously. If I move into a territory, and I say, we ain't leaving until the job is done, that's not like a Naziistic type thing. That's a genocide thing. We're going to kill everybody. Every, every Zohar, anyway. Everybody. Now, it's not said in our Haftarah that God said, listen, go down to Amalekite land and spend six months or eight months, however long it takes you, and kill them all. Uh, rather, it sounds like they had a big battle. The battle was a bloody battle. The Jews won. They killed the prisoners, except one. And Viter, and then they came back to, to celebrate. Didn't that the story? Doesn't sound like they went from place to place. And so we know there are plenty of Amalekites left even after all this, and God does not criticize the Shaul in his Torah. Why did you leave any Amalekites left in the world? He says, why did you leave Agag left? Right? Why do you have pity on Agag? It is interesting. It's hard to, you know, It's the, the, the story is not so simple. That's what I'm trying to get at. The story is not so simple. And um, this is obviously not a liberal story. Well, Shaul comes across as kind of a liberal. Because, and what I'm suggesting is, and I'm not sure, I'm trying to say, I think it makes sense, I'm not 100% sure. Shaul was told, go wipe out this whole place because they did something a couple hundred years ago. You know, if something happened hundreds of years ago, and they didn't kill a lot of Jews, you know, by Yachlosh, uh, whatever it says over there, they, uh, how's it go? Zohar Zashal they raided the rear end, you know, of the of the Jewish column, the Zonov. So, doesn't sound like it's, it's that big of a deal. And the Chazal say that indeed Saul had qualms about this. Bishma, if you told me to wipe out the Plishtim, they're busting us day and night. They you told me to wipe out the Chavis, the, the Moabites. They've been attacking us. Amalek is far away. It was not on the adjacent to the border of Israel, and apparently there weren't these raids. Okay, there weren't these raids, and that's why it says. According to Hazel, 
which uh, could mean he battled them in, in, in a wadi. But the Chazal famously say that he had qualms, liberal qualms. Right? He had liberal qualms. He said, Anachal reminds you of Eglarufa. Eglarufa is, 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 terror goes nuts when one person is killed improperly. You know, the whole ceremony of Eglarufa. Now here I'm told to kill at everybody, you know, men, women, children. Uh, how's it go? If the term makes such a big deal out of one innocent death, now that's a strange way of reasoning. Um, I'll tell you what I mean. Egla Rufa is when an innocent guy gets killed. Uh, here we're talking about Amalekites. So it's like I would say, if the Torah cares about Egla Rufa, then Kabbalah should care about a thousand Nazis. No, it doesn't. Nazis are Nazis. So you see, the Shul didn't consider them Nazis. Right? I'll say it again. The Gemara says that the story is that he said, Lechvi kisses Amalek. When God said, Wipe out Amalek, Shaul himself said, Really? If for the death of one innocent person, no wrong, one innocent Jew, it says the whole ceremony of Eglarufa, call on the Fashas Halo, the Lachas Kambakama, then Kabakam were all the Amalekites. What does that mean? You see clearly from that, at least to me, that Saul did not regard these people as wicked. Rather, he regarded them as descendants of wicked people. You see? If, if you're descendant of wicked people, it could be that these Amalekites, at the time we're talking about, were regular people. As I say, they didn't bother the Jews except when they went in a few times as auxiliaries of larger invasions. Uh, and the Jews did their share of raids in, in the other direction. That's how life is lived in the Middle East. Adayomazet. I wish it wasn't that way. Adayomazet. But here, it's there. It was too much of a gap of time. That's what it seems to me. You know, you're, you're telling me I should wipe out and kill a whole city and all the people and all the animals too because Shaul had trouble with the animals. Uh, uh, what do you call it? For something that their ancestors did a couple centuries ago. And uh, the Gemara says, it's an Agatha, so you know you have to know how to read it. But he says, Don't Because therefore means there's a time and a place for liberalism. And uh, if God tells you to do it, you should you do it. Now, I know you know that's the meaning of the story. That's the old speech of Shmuel, who said, you're fired. God has taken the kingdom away from you because you didn't listen. And Shaul, as we know, the story said, I did listen. And Shaul said, you did not listen. Right? Your orders are very direct and carried out. Now, to me, it's very harsh because Shaul did carry it out. If he had issues, he had issues. It's not like he didn't do it. Um... Yeah, I mean, let's get one thing straight. Whatever he personally thought, he did lead the attack, and they did kill everybody. They killed 99.99%. That's the story. They left, as you all know from the Haftarah, a couple of sheep and animals. He claims they wanted for a carbon, but maybe that was not true. Yeah, it depends how you read it closely. Uh, and he left Agag alive, the king. Why he left Agag is, is, is not clear. It has the funny language of Vayachmol. They had pity on them. So you can't tell, or let's put it this way, it's not easy to tell 
when you have these expressions, is Vayachmo really like an emotional statement? He looked at a guy and said, oh, poor guy. Or is it simply saying he spared his life? And in biblical language, they don't have a word for spared his life, so the biblical word would be Vayachmo. Notice, it had the result of Chemla, what you and I would call Chemla. But he didn't feel bad for him. Uh, it's not clear. But God boy came down like a ton of bricks. In Rosh, in Necha, Rosh Yisrael Ato. You know, what you've done is worse than, um, than idol worship. Chatas, Kes, and Mary, and so on and so forth. Boy, did he come down. Him. And really, you know, it doesn't make any sense because Shaul was a from guy, a very, very from guy. And he basically said like this, you know, maybe I screwed up a little bit. Maybe. But wait, I did 99%. Most of us would say if you were given a task, you did overwhelming majority of it, to kill the whole city. All the men, all the women, all the children, all the behemoths, everything else, with a tiny few exceptions. And when it comes to human beings, with a single exception. So I wouldn't call that, you know, not listening to the word of God. But God calls it not listening to the word of God. It's, it's so interesting, right? And, um, you know, he's therefore told the worst fate. Right? The worst fate. Because he says, you know, God's dumping you. God, uh, uh, what do you call it? Is, uh, is uh, rejecting you. Mius actually means you're disgusted. God is disgusted with you. And you're not going to be king over Israel. But uh, a few psukim later, he makes it even worse. Because Shaul tries to hold on to the garment of Shmuel and it tears. And he says, is This tearing of my garment is, a, is, a, is an omen, a bad omen. That God is tearing the kingdom away from you. So in other words, tearing the kingdom away means you're not going to let go. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to pull it apart so it'll tear Anyway, the language is very graphic. When the son of Larecha told me Mecca, and he's going to give it to somebody else better than you. Now, this is the terrible punishment of Shaul. The terrible punishment of Saul. Because by telling him somebody else is going to take the Melucha, but not telling him who that is, it drove him crazy. From then on, he cracked up. Ruach Rabbi Asu Mes Hashem. We know little by little Saul will go nuts. Right? that he throws a spear at David. He's about to throw a spear at Yonason at one point, his own son. And he's, it says that he suffered, you understand? So in other words, Hashem can be very tough. Without laying a finger on you, it's not like he got leprosy or something like that. He, the, the mind, you understand? Play with the mind. The mind games are the worst torture. God forbid you don't ever want that you have trouble with your mind. We all know this today with the mental health business. And David knows this. That's why when he sins with Bathsheba, if you look in the 51st Psalm, he says, Don't pull the Ruch HaKodesh from me like you did the Shal. The result was he had a breakdown. Or whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, Chazal or Mepharshim are up and down at what exactly happened with Shal's mental state. Some say he just had like a terrible paranoia or whatever. I mean, of a terrible type, a terrible depression. And that was the punishment. Um, there's a, a barbanel, I think, or somebody who says, no, when Shaul was told the terrible news, he's going to lose the kingdom, the way he reacted to it was going crazy because that's the normal way. If somebody, God forbid, was told by a doctor, 
you just have your, we just got your uh, results in from the lab, and you're gonna be dead in the ten days, or or or, or uh, you know, three days. Of course, the guy's gonna go crazy, you know. So Shaul's reaction was normal, and there was no way he could pull it back because in this week's parsha it says, God will not change his mind." So you're gonna lose the mulcha, but he didn't do him the the tova. Let me put it this way. Like I said before, Shaul's a tragic figure. He never has to be king. And he's published a, punished in a horrible way. Why didn't God say like this? Because you didn't kill Agog, so I'm going to kill you. And then a lightning would strike Shaul. Then he's put out his misery. It's a lingering situation. Where little by little, he realizes he's losing everything and doubled his own to rise, rise, rise. That's what Hoshimulalf is about. And, you know, everybody abandons him. His, son, his daughter, his son, this, that, and the other. Shaul has mamish a terrible, terrible time. Terrible, terrible time. Ad Kedekach, you know, the night before his final battle, he goes to a witch. So it's a real tragic situation. It seems to me, like, that he couldn't uh, make the leap to say these are horrible people. Because it happened so long ago, to him, he's like this. It's like Agla Rufa. But if Agla Rufa, um, that's one person... These are Alachas Kamakama. He didn't say, wait a minute, Alachas Kamakama. These are Nazis. He didn't see it that way. Uh, you and I are used to the dinner of Samot. We hear every week, every year, speeches and drushes and shiurim. Mechia Samot. And the yeshivas, you know, they play around with this stuff. Is it is it mitzvah this and mitzvah that? Uh, <laughs> who's it? What's the name? The. I'm, the Avni Nezir said, can you kill a Moloch on Shabbos? It's a Moloch that speaks of the Gufa. Really? Um, you know, it's, it, it seems that there are no Molochites left. Uh, but it never tells you anywhere exactly that the last of them were finished off. There are some of Farshim, if you study closely, Divriyam Aleph, there's some who say that the last of Moloch, what they call the Sheres HaPleta, Sheres HaMoloch. I'm serious. We're right down the time of Chizkiyahu. If that's true, what do you got Parshish Zohar for? And more importantly, I can hear in the Vart there's a Zechiris but there's no mitzvah of Mechias because there aren't any Malachites left. Because of this problem, that's why some of these Achronim, uh, they say Rechaim Brisker, others say Amalek is a state of mind. You understand? Know anybody, like a Hitler is Amalek, even though he wasn't necessarily genetically descended from Amalek. But, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a Malachite in the sense he wanted to wipe out the Jews. Okay, I mean, but that's a modern stretch based on the kasha I just told you. You understand? No, it's how can there be a Molech if there are no Molechites left in the world? Today, we live in 2021. There's a lot of bad hombres out there in the world. You can't show me anywhere in the world where's a Molech. Not that we know. You can't say Ahmadinejad, one of these guys, I mean, it's as a rhetoric. How do you know? We don't even have proof that we're Jewish, you know, if you want to go like that. How are you going to find that somebody's a Molech? So, when you get to that level, and you nevertheless have one of the tiring misses, Mechis Amalek, so that leads people to say, well, Amalek doesn't necessarily have to be ge- the genetic business. But if it's not a genetic business, then you're telling me it's a character thing. And, you know, Shaul didn't see this as being wicked people. Because he wanted to make that call the Gemara says, for Negla Rufa, if he thought they're wicked people. Now, what's interesting is that when you have the dramatic uh, final moment 
as we know, uh, the prophet Samuel steps up and kills Agag, right? Hagigo Agag Agag that he summons Agag, who's a prisoner, and basically Agag says these words that are not really translatable. I'm sure I said it last year also. Sar Mar the bitterness of death is now departed. At least that's what the plain, simple reading of of the of the reading is, which means my um, I mean the plain reading of something which is very difficult to explain would be. Until now, I didn't know what my future is. And that drove me crazy. Now I look at you, I see you're going to kill me in a minute. That's said the bitterness of death is not here. I'm just, um, what do you call it? Um, waiting for the final moment. Uh, and Shmuel says to him a very famous line. As your sword made others childless, um, now the turn is for your mother to become childless. So it sounds like from that, that Amalek was, that Agag was a killer. But we're not told he's a killer, right? We're not told this. And it's a strange Rashi. Rashi says, You made so many women widows, used to pick off the young Jewish soldier. So if that's true, then Amalek was attacking the Jews. Then why did Shaul say that they were innocent people? You see, it doesn't doesn't stem. You see, it doesn't stem. Uh, if so, unless you say there's a part of the story we don't know, but I can only go. This is what we have in front of us. Uh, it's very famous that when Israel captured Eichmann in 1960, they always say the story. And Eichmann was given a trial in Israel. And obviously was found guilty and was hanged, right? And um, he had a trial and he had a lawyer. He had a guy, a German lawyer, Doctor Gervasius or something. And uh, when the verdict was given by the Israeli court, death penalty, say so his lawyer appealed it, as is, you know, he has the right to do that. So he wrote to the president of Israel to commute the sentence from. Um, Death, my hanging to life imprisonment, something like that. And the and by the way, there were a lot of liberal Jews at that time <laughs> who said, you know, don't hang Heichmann. Believe it, can you believe this? Go look it up. A lot of liberal Jews who didn't feel comfortable with the death penalty, even on Eichmann. No, even if Hitler would have been found, they would have said, you know, give him a break. We got some nut Jews over here. I'm talking Martin Buber, some big intellectuals, idiots. Now, um, Eichmann, believe it or not. So, uh, when this was when this um, uh, letter was received by the by the president of Israel, that was the time Yitzhak Ben Tzvi, who was a close friend of Ben Gurion. He wasn't from, but he's the old Zionist type, the Tanakh they knew. So his reply was, "Ayin Shmuel Aleph, Parsha Zohar, Perak Tesvav, Pasuk Lama Gimel," <laughs> right, where it says. You killed so many people and you're asking for mercy? I'm talking about Eichmann. The same words that Shmuel Nevi said to Agag. You made so many childless and you're asking for mercy? It's like the Clarence Darrow case, right? Have pity on my client. He's an orphan. It's true he shot his parents, but he's an orphan. <laughs> it's like that. So, from there it sounds like he was wicked. What do we do to do this? 
we're left with a funny uh, um, picture that we're not told enough about who Agag and the others are. We connect this because Haman is referred to Agagi. And the usual understanding is he's a descendant of Agag. There are other ways of translating Agagi, but usually, certainly the Gemara talks about Agag. And the reason is because then it works Mita Kenegi Mita. In other words, Esther is a descendant of Saul because Ishimini Abira. So it was to be a Benjaminite. Benjamin is the one who let Agag off. And he didn't really. They let him for one day. I know the story, it doesn't say, I know the story that meanwhile he had a baby and so on and so on and such and such. Okay, that story is there to try to explain what was the big deal about a, a, a gug. They're left with a story of a misplaced um, liberalism. It's, it's a strange story, Parsha Zohar. Uh, it's a misplaced liberalism because um, Shaw was thinking along the lines, as a Gemara, what I said, that he made a Kalvachomer. And the Baskol said, I'll teach Sadiq Harvey. So the uh, point coming out of all this is uh, when you have certainly direct divine commands, let alone tiring misses, do you go by the zeitgeist? And according to the zeitgeist, some, somebody who hasn't done anything wrong to you, and the last time their family body was 300 years ago in a serious way, so usually you, you you give him space. You don't bother him. Uh, and to kill men, women, and children of that guy. In other words, the descendants of the people who killed me long, long ago, it's like somebody saying today, you want to go to Germany now, in the year 2021, and poison all the women and kill all the Germans? Is that what you want to do? The men, women, and children? They didn't do it. Now I'm sure some people say yes. But you hear what I'm saying? Uh, does that make sense? Or do you say, I'll take Sadiq Harbi? If the Torah tells you, there's such as Zach called Mechis Amor, Torah is telling you, Behold, there were under Malinal Chalasenu, and you're going to find, do you make a big mistake in the Middle East when you let somebody's a fundamental enemy of yours go? And uh, later on, there's a story about Achav, the king of Israel, who captures the Syrian king who attacked the Jews, Ben Hadad. And for one reason or another, we'll have pity and let him go, and God will be very angry at him. Why'd you let him go? So it, it should have killed him. So it turns out that, you know, um, contrary to popular liberal sentiment today, uh, you don't give a sucker an even break. Uh, when you have a mortal enemy, then you have to realize that uh, it's like a certain cancer. It will come and bite you sooner or later. It will come and attack you. Now, having said that, it still is a strange story, but... I think I would suggest that this Shabbos, if you're serious about the Haftarah, or you want something to talk about at the Shabbos table, in this preform era, I think you might consider some of the issues I just raised, because, like, who's this cigar guy? And, you know, why has God out to wipe out the men and the children of this particular Amalekite settlement and not tell Saul and the others, spend six months or six years, we kill all the Amalekites everywhere? Um... It is a very strange story, um, but of course we know, as we mentioned, that today's uh, sponsor of the Reptians, there's a Moloch in the 20th century also. Call Hitler, whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying he's genetically a Moloch or all the rest of it, and I don't want to even say the kind of brisky, his mom, Shabbat, but the Amalekite tendencies, 
being Jewish means, and this was the real message of Parshish Zohar, that there are groups out there to get you. You know, you look at the world, there's nobody, as far as I know, there's nobody out there trying to get the Brazilians. I don't see anybody out there, you know, trying to get the Canadians. But there always are some people out there trying to get the Jews. There always are in every generation. You know, in America, you got them. Uh, you got them everywhere. You, you know, that, that's the real meaning of the Parsha Sahar, I think. With that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.